This, this is The Industry. A show built by the working class for the working class. If you have a job, this is the podcast for you. Here is your host, Levi Jett. Welcome back to the industry. My name is Levi Jett. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving Day holiday. Hopefully you had time to spend with family, time to eat some good food, watch some football, however you spend it. I hope it was great. I know that I had a chance to see quite a bit of family and eat quite a bit of food, which I don't need it to be Thanksgiving to do that. And it was nice to watch some football, too. Um, Got a good show today. Katie Raymond is going to join us here in a little bit. And uh, she is from Case FMS. And we'll be talking uh, about a few different things with her. Um, Negotiation, sourcing, thick skin. All stuff she knows about. But before we get going, um, <laughs> so I think that I'm right in saying a lot of folks from the working class like sports and probably a decent amount um, partake in some sort of sports gambling nowadays. They made it so easy. You know, most states <clears throat> allow... Um, these sports books to operate on mobile apps, whether you use DraftKings, Barstool, uh, FanDuel, MGM, there's tons of them out there. And I'm one of the people who love sports betting. So Thanksgiving, I hit a nice little bet. Um, don't hit bets very often, but Thanksgiving I did. And, uh, you know, I was, feeling really good after, uh, after Thanksgiving headed into the weekend. And so yesterday I was looking for a game to, to bet on. I chose Sunday night football, Sunday night football, Packers and Eagles. There were two different prop bets, uh, which are, you know, kind of, uh, marketing, special promotion type bets that these apps will throw out there to, you know, try to get you to bet on. So there's two of them for this game right over both of them placed, uh, placed a wager and, you know, went about my business. This was earlier in the day. So I'm watching Sunday night football, doing some work, reading a little bit too. Um, you know, paying a little bit of attention to the game, not too much. And all of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers throws an interception. And that was one of the things that needed to happen for me to win this bet. So my attention, you know, increases in the game. A little while later, Jalen Hurts throws a touchdown pass. I need him to throw two to win that leg of this bet. And a little bit later, he did. The only other leg that I needed to come true uh, 
was for the Eagles to win the game. And at this point, they're up 14 points. So I'm celebrating. I'm, I'm happy yelling at the TV. Good yelling, not bad yelling, good yelling. Really excited, really excited. And then I go to check my sports book app because sometimes if you, if a lot of your legs of your parlay have already hit and you're just waiting on one more to finish, they might offer you an early cash out where you'll still get most of your winnings, but not the full amount. So I'm thinking that, you know, I'm in prime placement for them to offer me a cash out, go to the app, no offer, no cash out. Okay. So I start reading the bet that I placed and I placed the wrong bet. I bet on a prop that didn't hit stupid the whole time. I'm thinking I bet on this other one. I'm excited. I'm cheering for myself. I'm cheering for everything to happen in the game like an idiot. And yeah, so mm, really uh, a bad way to end the holiday weekend. Um, But yeah, so I think maybe in January uh, we're going to do kind of a a gambling type of episode because I, I do think it's something that a lot of people partake in, whether it's casinos or Powerball or Mega Millions or sports books or whatever your flavor. Um, I, I think this is something you know pretty prevalent in the working class, and want to talk about it at some point, and you know get some uh, get some further context around it and some objectivity. So, without further ado, let's uh, let's just dive into this. So. Negotiation and business, probably one of the most important things to learn to master. Now, I'm far from mastering this myself, Um, but over the years, I have picked up on some things here or there to help me become better at, at the act of negotiating. So... First and foremost, anytime you're negotiating, whether you're an employee negotiating for a raise or a starting salary, or maybe you're in sourcing and you're trying to negotiate a good price for services, it doesn't matter the arena, the rules are all the same. So the first rule to consider is you need to leave emotion out of it. You need to take emotion out and be very fact-based driven in your approach to win the negotiation. You can't go in there with a hot head. You can't go in there thinking that if you display emotion that is somehow going to benefit you. Um, Think about any TV show, any movie out there that has anything to do with negotiation. It's always the calm and cool type person who usually ends up winning that negotiation. And 
Gotta tell you, most of the time that's actually true. You need to be calm. You need to have a good demeanor. You need to use tact when we're negotiating. If you let your emotions get the best of you, chances are that negotiation will not go as planned. It will not go as you think it will. So that's number one, right? Leave emotion out of it. Number two, this is my favorite one. How do you handle the question of how much do you expect to make it this job? When you're in an interview and it's going well and they get to the point where they ask you how much you want to make. Or maybe you've already had an interview or two and now you're conversing back and forth in email and you're having this negotiation about salary. Now, for many, many years, this question always made me sick personally. I would lose sleep over this question. I never knew how to answer it because, you know, you, you don't want to go in too high and risk them just saying, no, there is no middle ground. You're way too high. We're not going to waste our time with this conversation anymore. But you don't want to go in too low either and leave money on the table, right? So the best way to go about this, one, you need to do a little bit of research. You need to take a little bit of the responsibility to do some research on what you might be able to expect for a salary in that position. There's plenty of resources out there that will give you an idea, right? Not, not facts, but an idea of maybe where you should be looking in a salary range. So that's one. Two, another tactic is to ask, what is your range for this position? That's a big one. Because now, because sometimes you don't even know where to start. You know, sometimes you <laughs> might be a job paying you 50 a year and you think that it should be 70 and you know, $20,000 off is kind of a big deal. But if you ask that question and the interviewer says, oh, it's, you know, between 45 and 55. Now, you know where you have to live. And if you ask for 55 or 60 you know that's at the top end of their scale. So you better have the background, you better have the credentials um, to demand that type of salary. But it's important to ask that question if 
you have not found anything through your research on salaries for that position. And the last helpful tip is to confidently throw a number out there. You know, use, use your research, use any other piece of information to help you come up with a reasonable number, but confidently give that number. And the more confidence you put into that, um, the better the outcome usually is. You know, if, if you say $80,000, that's what you want for your salary. Maybe you're leaving a job that pays you 60 and you've never even made $80,000 in a year. If you say 80, like you've made it before, like it's nothing new, like it's matter of fact that you should be making $80,000 a year. That will help you greatly in that negotiation process. Because even if that operations manager or human resources manager or, or whoever is conducting this interview or this negotiation for the company, even if they're able to talk you down a little, Hey, we can't pay you 80. How about 75? You're still plus 15,000 from what you were making at 60. Things are still good, right? You're not feeling like I was after Sunday night, losing a bet I didn't even make. You're celebrating plus 15,000 for the year. Negotiations, no matter what arena they're held in, have to be fact-driven. They have to be emotionless. And the quicker you're able to master that, the better your negotiations will go. Now, some people out there will say, Hey, you know, you need to, you know, don't be the first one to make an offer or Hey, be the first one to make an offer. Um, you know, that it's a sign of weakness to talk first in a negotiation. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't really have a feeling on that one way or the other, because if I'm negotiating for a salary for myself, and I want it to be a hundred thousand and I let them open the negotiation and they open at 70. Now me countering at a hundred is going to seem ridiculous. Whereas if I started at a hundred and I spoke first, they may come back with a counter at 70, but there's going to be some really awkward feelings in the room at that point. When there's a $30,000 Delta in that negotiation.
you need to trust your instinct. You need to be honest with yourself about the situation. You need to find as many facts as you can to operate with. And at the end of the day, again, if you're still not sure, ask. Because I'll tell you something else employers aren't going to do. I'm not saying there's not some, you know, bad employers out there who might take advantage occasionally, but most of them won't. You're not going to enter too many situations where uh, they're looking for, you know, an account manager, say, right? And this account manager job has a salary range of sixty to seventy thousand a year, and you come in and you say, "Yeah, I'll do it for uh, fifty to fifty-five." Right? There's not too many people out there that are going to sign you up for that fifty or that fifty-five. They're going to tell you, "I'm going to start you at sixty because that's our minimum." Because what happens when employees start talking and that person figures out they're making five to $10,000 less than someone else with no experience. And, and it really comes down to business ethics, right? Are you going to do the right thing? I believe a lot of companies out there will. I've been in that position myself before interviewing shortchanging myself and having the person on the other side of the negotiation have my back and say, no, 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 no. We can do better than that because that's where we start out. You know, you came in asking too low and you know, sometimes that happens, but ask, Ask questions if you're at a loss. But negotiation is something that you need to work to get better at every single day because it's going to matter for every single job that you do. You might be listening right now. You might have a job where you rarely ever use negotiation. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be like that. And then kind of coinciding with negotiation is having thick skin in a negotiation and business. Anyway, you're going to hear things that you don't really want to hear. You're going to hear sometimes that you're not the best at your job. You're going to hear sometimes you're not special, that someone else is better than you at everything. The world business is tough and you have to have thick skin. You have to understand that criticism often is business. It is business criticism. These are not personal attacks that you see. So many people take so many things personally and they do it all the time. You have to have thick skin. 
You can't let these things get to you. And you, you can't sit there and say that, I don't even know, you're, you're being treated unfairly or that people are um, being mean to you. If you're saying stuff like that, you need to look in the mirror. Are they really being mean or is it maybe some constructive criticism? Are they really being mean or are they telling you to do your damn job? Because that's something else too. I see this a lot. I've seen it play out tons of times. Where someone being told to do what they are supposed to do somehow comes off as mean and rude and inconsiderate and a personal attack, a vendetta against someone. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. And if you really think that, then you're going to have a relatively low ceiling when it comes to business. If you can't get over the fact that some people are going to be abrasive, some people are going to be tough to deal with, some people are going to tell you about yourself, and you're just going to have to deal with it, smile and move on, if you can't get that through your head, your ceiling in business is going to be on the first floor. You're never going to move up the chain with that attitude. Now, someone who has done very well at moving up, someone very well versed in negotiation, she could probably write a book on having thick skin is Katie Raymond, and she'll be joining us momentarily to talk more about these two topics and just kind of what she thinks about both of them. And we will be right back to talk to her, but first, we'll be checking in with the folks over at Weatherworks. Thank you, Levi. I'm meteorologist Brad Miller at WeatherWorks Consulting Meteorologists and the co-host of our very own podcast called The Weather Lounge. Today is Monday, November the 28th, and overall the weather pattern hasn't changed all that much from last week as a good portion of the U.S. is still relatively mild for this time of the year. There was a system that exited off the East Coast Sunday night that did bring with it a fair amount of rainfall to the I-95 corridor as we wrapped up the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. But uh, high pressure now builds back into the region, and uh, Monday and Tuesday look relatively quiet here. Um, for the Northeast, New England, and into the Ohio Valley. Any kind of wintry weather is still confined to portions of the Western U.S., uh, the Rockies, and Northern Plains. Uh, there will be a potent area of low pressure that ejects into the Midwest on Tuesday. Yeah, on the colder side, we'll probably see some snow for the Dakotas and into Minnesota, maybe northern Wisconsin, but of a greater significance, it uh, looks like a 
pretty nasty severe weather outbreak expected for the lower Mississippi River Valley. Uh, severe thunderstorms, tornadoes possible uh, Tuesday afternoon and Tuesday evening. So something we'll have to uh, watch very closely. Uh, this same system will uh, head towards the East Coast for Wednesday. Severe weather threat diminishes. However, this uh, system will produce some very gusty winds, 30 to 40 mile per hour gusts. Uh, looks like late Wednesday into Wednesday night for a good portion of the Northeast and the Ohio Valley and maybe up to 50 miles per hour for uh, parts of New England Wednesday night. Uh, it will be all rain up and down the uh, East Coast though with this system, plenty warm. Uh, there may be a little bit of lake effect snow activity on the backside of the system as it exits Thursday morning. Some cold air gets in, but again, uh, it's not going to be anything widespread. Just your typical areas that do get some lake effect this time of the year, upstate New York and possibly into northern New England. High pressure builds back in then for the end of the week uh, for the northeast and the east coast dries out. Maybe some more rain for Saturday. Uh, the rest of the U.S., again, not too wintry. Um, any kind of snow, cold weather still confined to the western parts of the country as we go on into our first weekend of December here. Now, we are watching for some changes to the pattern middle to late next week. It may offer at least a better chance for some colder weather and possibly even some wintry weather for parts of the Midwest and the Ohio Valley Northeast and New England. Uh, again, nothing set in stone, but there are some signs of a pattern change towards some colder weather. Um, again, for these areas, maybe even the I-95 corridor as, as we get into the middle to later part of uh, next week. So nothing to hang our hat on yet, but uh, the signs are there and we'll continue to monitor the next seven to 10 days. But if you do like the winter weather, well, keep your fingers crossed and uh, maybe we'll get some for the Northeast next week. And uh, that's about it. We'll have our next update on December 5th. And until then, have a great week, everyone. Levi, back to you. Welcome back to the industry. Uh, today, we are fortunate enough to speak with Katie Raymond from Case FMS. She is the Vice President of Partner Relations. Katie, welcome to the show. Hey, Levi. Thanks for having me on today. No problem. Glad you could be here. So you have been at Case for a very long time. Um, I think you just celebrated your 10-year anniversary not long ago. Um, what was the journey like for you, um, from that first year with case to year 10 now where you are a vice president? Sure. So, um, one thing I had heard when I was first starting my career out was your talent will get you in, in the room, but it's your character that'll keep you there. And I've always looked to carry that with me, um, um, I remember my first storm, it was Agnes in November of 2012, November 28th, actually. And I was so nervous. And I remember the adrenaline hitting me because I had never worked in a storm like that. I had never seen the catastrophe that Mother Nature could bring. And I remember I had no trouble staying up. I had no trouble um, keeping up with what was going on. And I had no trouble with strategy. And I feel like when I saw the raw talent that I had, that is what made me want to continue to pursue and climb the corporate ladder with Jason um, all these years. So when I look now to being a vice president, um, it's a high 
responsibility because now I'm responsible for other people's results. And I think that's one of the biggest privileges you can have in business is when you're working with employees and you have, you know, their personal and professional development at your influence, you have, you know, culture at your influence. And it's like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with what's been given to you? And I've just been cultivating, you know, that kind of value from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that you're one of the more um, distinguished people in the industry as far as what you've been able to do at Case and your tenure there. Um, so with that journey to vice president, there's many things that you have undoubtedly mastered throughout your career. What's one of the most difficult things you've had to master in business? Sure. Um I would say changing your strategy when the game has already started. So um, I know this is going to be cliche for a lot of people, but I remember when the pandemic hit for the first time and everybody was, you know, working from home and it was very new. And I remember having to homeschool my kids and, and work at the same time. And I'm really thankful for that experience because it taught me that you you can make a plan and God laughs, right? And now, I've, ever since that experience, I actually felt like coronavirus worked to bring my performance to another level because now when unexpected changes happen, my response is probably three or four times better than it used to be when plans would change. So I think I think changing strategy um, unexpectedly is probably one of the toughest things I've had to master because I'm a planner. And um, now when things do change, I actually smile and I say, okay, this is, this is going to be better than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, no doubt. Everyone has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. Um, <laughs> right. Really? Yeah. I mean, getting punched and then figuring out what, what to do next is, um, is very much a skill. So, VP of Partner Relations, um, I, I know that you had kind of a brief stint in operations, but you've mainly been involved in the sourcing process. So for people listening right now that, you know, maybe kind of starting out in sourcing, um, describe to me your personal sourcing process. Sure. Like if, so, if you yeah. were going to go out and, you know, source a site by yourself. Right. And if I was going to go out and source a site by myself, the first question I would ask myself is, what does this job site need for equipment? Um, I think that in the day and age we live in where there's so many aggregators, there's so many management groups, um, people are estimating in bulk. And if you source in bulk without paying attention to the nuances of job sites, particularly around big box, you will see that um, during an event operations and it will not be pleasing. So what I look to do is assess the needs of the job site and build a relationship. Um, a service partner who gets defensive during basic questions, that is a red flag. But someone who takes my questions that are gonna seem somewhat invasive and then asks me questions that might be uncomfortable, 
that's how I know I'm working with a good guy. Because um, just like many of your LinkedIn posts, actually, Levi, have alluded to lately, good business isn't always good news. Good business is when you have a real partnership and you can talk about the good and the bad and there's no hard feelings because trust is being built along the way. So that would be my personal sourcing style. Yeah, no, it's so true. I mean, you know, a partnership, you, you, you have to take the, the bad and the good together. It can't always mm-hmm. be good all the time. Um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's some excellent tips. And so I always liken a lot of business to sports, the sports world. I'm a big sports fan. And when we're working with providers and even employees, you know, you have a negotiation phase like you would with, you know, contracts and professional sports. And it, it, to me, it's not unlike that where, you know, sometimes you have someone that, uh, you, you know, things can be really, really good and you're willing to pay them a little more because of that. And they flop mm-hmm. on you or sometimes they perform very well. Um, what are some of your tactics when it comes to negotiating? Sure. So, um, you know, from working with me, I'm a big proponent of disc analysis, right? So this is that old school Sandler training what personality type is this person? And it's not to manipulate. It's more so that when the negotiation and the money talk is underway, you are mirroring personality in a manner that is going to continue to facilitate trust. Um, So that's one thing I always keep turned on um, as a skill. Uh, Another thing is knowing, knowing the request that's being made during the negotiation and the why, and then considering things. So analytics, right? Like if someone is going crazy for an increase and the job site is near nothing and it's going to be very difficult to find providers that want to use an application to log services, you make a wise business decision. And yes, to your point, you might have to pay more but it's a best decision for the provider and it's a best decision for, in my case, case. Um, other times, you know, certain questions are red flags. Like when, when a service partner says, hey, can we salt on every plow push? Well, I don't even know if I wanna keep talking now because no, you can't. And not, not just that, it's horrible for the environment, it's horrible for the customer and it's horrible for, for that provider. So. A lot of my tactics are like real-time analytics, just simply digesting what's being asked and then being straightforward. And um, the providers that are on the other side of the table doing that, that's where you strike a deal and things go well. I mean, we've got some providers that have been with us as long as I've been with the company, and that's a blessing. Um, I know, you know, Steve Hampton, the director of partner relations that's at Case now, and Uh, the team that's working with him, we are really looking to impart all these things I'm saying every day of the week because it it becomes um, similar to muscle memory. If you start using the same mantra during every single conversation you're having, it becomes second nature. And then it's really not this big lift to have a negotiation. And it's not uncomfortable anymore either. Yeah, no, I think that 
the more consistency you're able to bring, it also helps you develop a, a that base level or a scorecard for, you know, um, how the process is done. And then if there are, you know, issues along the way, you're more, you know, it's easier to identify those issues if you're doing it consistently every time. Absolutely. So something that, um, you know, we spoke about a lot working together, um, is thick skin. Um, and it's something that, you know, the more and more I look around, it seems that, because to me, thick skin is a skill. Um, it's not, you know, something you're necessarily born with. It's something you develop. Um, how do you think somebody really develops their thick skin and, and what's that mean in having thick skin in business? Sure. Um, I see three clear ways that it happens. The first is having to earn something, having to earn a result and not having things handed to you. That's one. Um, two, I would say going through tests and trials, whether it's in a career path or your personal life or financially, um, any arena, really. Testing and trials develop character, where even though we don't enjoy them as humans, they develop our character. And then the last one, which everyone hates, but there's there's a lot of silver lining in it if you treat it right, is failure. Um, you know, so between those three ways to get thick skin, I think um, I think that can make a really good business person, you know, no matter what part of the country you're coming from or even if you're from this country. Um, and I think the reason it's so important in business is because we're in exterior maintenance. So our industry particularly is very tough. But even if you're not in exterior maintenance, you want to be thick-skinned in business because when challenges come, you want to be agile. And it's not good that every time a challenge comes, if people are having the pity party or getting very discouraged very easily, uh, we want to be resilient in business and bounce back from a challenge and strategize. And so, you know, those are really the three ways I see people building thick skin, but I'm sure they're not the only three ways. Yeah, no, I mean, to me, you know, having thick skin is uh, taking your personal thoughts out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, being very matter of fact in your dealings. I think that's something, again, you know, so many people want to make it personal and or think that something is happening because of a personal reason. Uh, And again, you know, business has ups and downs. It can't always be good all the time. So uh, as I kind of alluded to a minute ago, you know, I, I think thick skin is more uncommon than common. Would you agree with that? And what makes you agree or disagree with that? So um, I agree. And unfortunately, I think it goes back to um, a lot of parenting in the home uh, without getting political at all, because this, what I'm about to say, should be a bipartisan matter where everyone pays attention to it. But when, when generations of children are being raised up, that they can't be broken, that they can't get their feelings hurt, 
that they can't go through challenges. That's where you see that in business, Levi, like what you're saying, the inability to compartmentalize business from personal. And, um, you know, I know you and I have seen it spin out in various contexts, but when people get get too broken down over criticism, um, that's tough because business is going to sometimes hand you candor and the candor again if it's treated well the criticism it can be used to your good to your benefit to your building so yeah i agree with you it's hard to find it right now Um, i'm hoping that with this next generation of children that are coming that people are waking up and and raising their children to be a bit tougher and knowing that they're going to be sometimes criticized for their work and that it's not a bad thing it's there for their good but um yeah I, I think it's definitely not readily available in the marketplace. Sure. So you work in a predominantly male industry. I think everyone could agree that, you know, exterior services uh, by and large is made up of men. So what has it meant to you having the success that you've had being a woman? Yeah. Um, so this question is really powerful, but there's going to be a lot of men listening, hopefully, to this podcast. And the first thing I want to acknowledge is that I don't think coming out of the gate that most men are sexist or misogynistic. I'm not part of the Me Too movement. You know, I give everybody a fair shake and, and move in good faith unless I was treated otherwise. Um, but working in this industry, it has taught me because it's male dominated the difference between healthy competition and unhealthy competition. I believe that a healthy competition is when you are going against yourself every single day of the week. Um, I know I used to say this when I was working with you, but finding that Katie from 2021 and just beating the mess out of her every day, that's healthy because I'm surpassing myself in business on purpose. Um, Unhealthy competition is when you are competing against a coworker in a toxic manner. Um, And so working in male dominated environment has taught me that difference. And it's also taught me credibility. And I'll explain what I mean. You know, when I think back to winter storm Agnes, so many years ago, 10 years ago now, um, I was, I knew, I knew my loaders I knew my skids, my pushers. I knew the difference between rubber and steel. I knew all of that. And I was very intentional about becoming knowledgeable about equipment because I wasn't going to source anything and, and not be clear on the assets that were going on that site. So I think working in this industry has also, because it is male dominated, left me a lot less room for error. And in that manner, I'm actually very grateful for it. Yeah, no, it's sometimes in life, you know, if uh, the margin for error is thin, it actually increases our performance um, and makes, you know, everything a little bit more serious, I think, for us. So what would your recruiting message for facilities management be to other women out there who, I don't know, maybe are looking to, you know, change the industry they're in or they're looking for opportunity? My message to them would be, come get involved in exterior maintenance if you want to be mentally tough every day and then turn around in the mirror 
and see a businesswoman that can thrive. Um, I would tell them out of out of the gate, it's not for the faint of heart. We know that it's not for certainly not for a nine to fiver. But if you want to find out what your core values are, if you want to find out what you are like under pressure, come start a career in exterior maintenance because the tenacity that will be gained can serve really in any industry after that. 100% agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, (laughs) This job is not for someone looking for that nine to five weekends Uh, off, holidays off. Um, No way. No, 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 no. You're <laughs> if you're in this industry, you're really looking to build something and you understand, you know, building is going to come with some personal sacrifice for sure. It always does. Um, all right. So a question that every guest is asked on this show, um, what advice would you give someone earlier in their professional journey than you or what advice would you give to the younger generation? Um, Someone who is just starting out, no matter what industry they're in, I would tell them to keep a a journal. Um, The reason I say that is because I think as humans, it's often in our very nature to be ungrateful. And if you keep a journal of all the things that are happening along the way on your journey, there's times if you get into a challenge and you're having a bad day, you can look back and see how that challenge was resolved or how how the story ended and you can be encouraged. And I know that is something that has actually kept me at the same company for so long. Um, Case is a wonderful company, but like every other company in the marketplace, it comes with challenges. And I think one of the reasons, and there are many, but one of the reasons I've been able to stay is because in my journal, I've documented, okay, you know, this is happening. What's going to be the end result? And then reading the end results in my own penmanship on a day when, you know, maybe I'm not, I'm not really feeling the vibe or it's a tough day. I'm encouraged by that because I say, if I got through that, I'm going to get through this. Let's keep going. And so um, I know you didn't really ask me this, but I'm very grateful that it took me so long to become a VP because when we used to see heavy equipment operators that had been in the game for years, we would say they're thoroughbred. He's a good operator. He knows what he's doing. And I want to be that way, thoroughbred. Um, I'm glad it took that long because every um, position I held along the way, I was working on my character and working on my skill set and working on my response. And so now coming into such a position, I believe that I'm actually better prepared than many of my contemporaries because of that, the the length of the journey, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. Yeah. That, that's, it's a really good answer. I mean, patience um, is something that similar to thick skin seems to be running on short supply. Um, people have to understand that, you know, it takes time to build something good and you don't want it to be built on, a house of cards or a house of sand or whatever, you know, you want it to be built on rock. hundred um, percent. And that takes yes. patience. Right. So I know you are on uh, maternity leave right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. How much longer do you have? Uh, so I'll go back uh, the first week of January, right after okay. New Year's. 
Um, when I saw what just happened in Buffalo, I'm not going to lie. Like <laughs> the adrenaline came, even though I'm not in the game. And I was, there were sure, some teammates I, I was still talking to just cause I wanted to see how they were or to, you know, mm-hmm. some people on LinkedIn were reaching out and saying, Hey, do you need a melter? Do you need this? And I was getting, you know, a little involved, but what a storm to miss, you know, is um, history, yeah. history making. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <crazy>. Yes. My, uh... <laughs> I was talking to my boss about that and, um, you know, asking him how our crew's up there handling things. And he go, you know, he said, Oh, you know, not, not too bad, you know, for, uh, um, for an early season storm. And he, you know, mentioned something about it being uh, a nice little test, um, early <laughs> in the year. And I go, a little test. Are you kidding me? Like right, what are you, right. six feet of snow. That's not a little Same. test. Um, right. Okay, so uh, do you have any plans, um, anything you're trying to accomplish before you have to go back to the grind? Um, I think what I'm doing now is I'm just um, preparing a strategy for my return as far as when you're, when you're gone away this long and you're with a baby and the baby, like my daughter's so well behaved, she's such a good girl. I've had time to really think about like what kind of culture am I trying to build when I get back? You know, how is that culture perhaps different than what I was building before I left, um, all that kind of stuff. So really all I've been doing is strategy and taking care of my family. And, um, I get to cook a lot more now, obviously, which is nice. Yeah, no, I definitely enjoy the time off. It's, uh, much deserved and I'm happy you could, uh, spend some of it with me on the industry, but, um, I will let you go. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk again pretty soon. Thanks again, Levi. Thank you, Katie. That was Katie Raymond from Case FMS. She is the Vice President of Partner Relations. Thank you so much to Katie for joining us. Thank you also to Weatherworks for joining us every week and providing the up-to-date weather forecast for the week. We really appreciate that partnership. If you have any general inquiries, questions, comments, suggestions for the show, please reach out to me at Levi at jetfacilityconsultants.com. That is Levi at J-E-T-T facilityconsultants.com. Next week, we'll have a fresh episode of the industry. And until next time. Thanks for listening to The Industry, a show built by the working class for the working class. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review.